This is the Don Juans of Dynasty, where we discuss all things Dynasty Fantasy Football. Sit back and enjoy the show. All right, the Don Juans of Dynasty are back. Season 2, Episode 4, looking at our Rookie Wide Receivers Part 2 and going into our tight ends preview today. I'm your host, Mike, and I'm joined by John. Yo. And Tim. What's up? Howdy, howdy, boys. I, mu- I must say that uh, Tommy had a good episode last week, Timmy. You better watch out. Yeah, he did good. I gave it a listen before uh, we got on today. Oh, little, little, fu- little, little fire under your ass, buddy. I hate to say it, but he actually did well. Um, not good, so... I just want to make sure that's clear, but I appreciate the sentiment. Tommy did uh did do a he nice did job. Or, he did gooder than Tim. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a good episode. Tommy, um, I think did a good job of bringing a little bit of a unique perspective. I think he kind of has his guys, and I uh, I respect his process. I mean, if I could change one thing about the episode, it would be for him to please stop calling Terrace Marshall Terrence Marshall. I mean, for the love of God, it's Terrace, like. I, I, I just I don't I don't really know how many times I'll say it, but, uh, you know, it doesn't matter too much because we're going to talk about Terrence a little more this episode. And I'll stop you guys if you start calling him Terrence. Um, but before we get into the episode a little bit, boys, I do want to go ahead and, and hit on some news headlines um, and, and kind of gather your guys thoughts. So I, there were four major things that kind of happened in the past 36 hours here. And that's around, um, you know, Dak getting his new contract. Congrats to Dak. Kenny G officially being uh, a free agent. He wasn't tagged. Um, <clears throat> Allen Robinson being officially tagged and Aaron Jones also not being tagged. So, um, you know, I, I was thinking what we can do is let's go over these four guys kind of, you know, how these guys, you know, returns or dismissals from their teams kind of affects how you're viewing them slash. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, is there an opportunity to buy here? Is there an opportunity to sell, you know, how you're treating them? Um, if that works for you guys. Yep. Yeah. All right. Let's start with, uh, let's start with Dak. So Dak got his new deal. Um, I believe it's four years, 162 million. And I think that there was some kind of a way to structure it so that it actually could have been six years, but basically they can get out from the the cap penalty after four years. John, was that right? I don't, I know you're a Cowboys fan. So you might've seen that as well. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it's, uh, 125 guaranteed and there's a no trade clause in there as well yeah i mean well first off i mean this is something that i was definitely as a DAC owner very excited about um i kind of called my shot here and anticipated he would be re-signed and and again you know on a points per game basis he was either the quarterback one or quarterback two last year before going down with injury so we kind of talked about where Dak was and where he was being viewed you know with that injury at the time of it um, I think at this point, there's overwhelmingly positive news that Dak looks really, really good. He's ahead of schedule. I'm not afraid about him returning to form or concerned about him and his mobility still being intact. Um, right now, Dak's my overall quarterback, too, in Dynasty, just behind Mahomes. Um, and I would love to debate any of the other guys that I know people are going to have ahead of them and kind of why I disagree. But, you know, I'm, I'm very bullish on it. I think it's good for the Cowboys. I think it's good for their skill position players, and I think it's going to be good. Uh, for Dak too, because he was putting up monster numbers. John, what do you think about it as a Cowboys fan? Well, I mean, as a, I, I wouldn't be a Cowboys fan if they didn't resign Dak. Um, I mean, I, I just think he's a good person on and off the field too. But um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, he's shown he can support Cooper and Gallup and CeeDee Lamb and then even uh, Blake Jarwin if he comes back. If not, they have Schultz. Um, and also as a Zeke owner in one of our leagues, it's it's going to be good for him as well. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. <clears throat> It'll be cool to see that offense return to form. I mean, we all saw what happened. Uh, I know we love Ben DiNucci, a fr- friend of the pod, but he wasn't exactly the answer. <laughs> Andy Dalton didn't guide him to the playoffs. And we saw how bad that division looked. Um, I I firmly believe that Dak would have had the Cowboys in the playoffs. And the Redskins actually had the biggest chance of beating the Buccaneers, I think. Or with Taylor Heineke, how he played. Imagine Dak and the Cowboys offense going up against that. So might have had a different Super Bowl champ if the Cowboys made the playoffs. So we'll see what happens next year with him healthy under center. That's a great point. I think um, people probably will balk at that, but I get exactly what you're going for because the Skins had a really good defensive line, and that's kind of how Brady has historically been beaten, um, is kind of when you've brought pressure or unique blitz packages like what the Giants have done in multiple times that they've beaten him uh, in the playoffs. So I, I agree with you. I think it would have been a different story had um, you know they been in a situation to have actually you know had a quarterback there that was competent. But um, – Hey, yeah, Heineke played his ass off. Heineke did have a good game. I mean, Heineke did way, way better than I think people expected him to. I mean more the fact that he had not a lot of time to prep for that game and that he wasn't the starter with that unit for a long time. I mean, he's going to get a chance to possibly be the starter there now that they've moved on from Alex Smith. I don't know what they're going to do in offseason, but. I was just going to say, I think he was the fourth stringer coming in. Something crazy like that. I think he got a two-year extension. Mm -hmm. Um and probably because of that game. So, I mean, I won't disrespect the guy yet. He's no Dak Prescott, though. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I really think if we're gonna if we're gonna talk about that for a little bit, I think they might go after Darnold. That would be Cowboys. interesting. Oh, oh no, no that's football the team. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah not team. the Cowboys. Yeah, I mean, we have a couple of interesting spots still for quarterbacks. Um, I'm not convinced Russell Wilson staying in Seattle, which is something that would have been crazy to say like a month ago because he sounds like he's unhappy as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think long story short, this is going to be a fun division to watch because, you know, the Cowboys are in a good spot. The Eagles are, are really going to be interesting, I you know, not to go down this rabbit hole, but I'm very curious to see whether or not they go quarterback. Um, I think there's a lot of reasons they, sh- they should go quarterback at six in the draft. I don't know if they actually will. Um, but I don't, I don't have anything else on, on Dak here. Do you guys have anything before we move on to Kenny G? Also, yeah. Yep. I'm good. Yeah. So, you know, this one should be a little bit more quick because for Kenny G, we don't know exactly where he's landing yet. So it's going to be difficult to place a value yet, but I think in terms of Kenny Galladay's, you know, future value, um, he was in a good spot when he was the clear alpha with, with Stafford. And I think now that Stafford is no longer a Detroit lion and he's moving into the off season um, with a couple of options for teams, Kenny G is going to be a very interesting player to see where his value goes because he was clearly playing um, unhappy and, and somewhat hurt in the games he did play last year. And he still looked fine. Um, I think he's a great buy right now. And I think that a lot of people in the community are trying to buy him. I still see him as a top 20 wide receiver. And I think at the start of last year, we had him all in our top eight. Um, so he's fallen a lot since then because so much young talent has come in. But I think it's interesting for Detroit. They're going to have basically Quintez Cephas as their number one wide receiver going into the draft, which is pretty wild. Uh, I think the biggest thing for uh, Galladay, uh, just for us, the dynasty community, you can feel comfortable buying him before you even know where he lands up because I think he was the wide receiver five uh, with David Blau as his quarterback. 
So we've seen what he can do with a talented guy, and we've seen what he can do with a third stringer. So uh, I'm excited wherever he lands up. Yeah, I, I agree. I feel safe with him being the number one receiver on whatever team he goes to. Um, I I know we talked about it a little bit last episode, but I don't know why the Ravens wouldn't go after him. Same. Same. That's where I want him to go. I mean, the Ravens previously were saying that they weren't in the market for an alpha wide receiver, but, you know, <clears throat> things change. Apparently today there was a, a, a piece of um, news around the fact that they wanted to bring Lamar more into the conversation about what they were doing to build out the team and make sure he felt like he had a voice and was included. So from that lens, I think – he should be advocating for a wide receiver and maybe they pivot from their original stance. Um, but I don't, I don't have anything else on Kenny G either. I just thought that was an interesting piece that we had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can move on. All right. Next was Allen Robinson. I think um, the biggest Allen Robinson fan here is John. So John might have the most to say about Allen Robinson saying in Chicago, but I think for what it's worth right now, we don't know exactly who their quarterback's going to be. There's a chance Russell Wilson still goes there. There's a chance that they trade for someone else. I think, you know, he's produced while he's been there, and it's likely his situation gets better. Um, Much the same as Kenny G, I think he's probably a receiver that is getting a little bit underappreciated. But, I mean, I would be really happy with him as my wide receiver, too, and I think he can put up wide receiver one weeks, as we know. Yeah. um, I mean, at least Trubisky's gone (laughs) for for Allen Robinson. Is that official? Uh, I don't think they're going to – I think he's a free agent, right? I thought he was on the last year of his rookie deal because he was a first-round pick. That's a good question. I actually don't know off the top of my head. I can verify that, but you can keep talking. Yeah, I mean, I know you're supposed to uh, – you know, the old saying is you're not supposed to show up to a party with a with a full chub. You're supposed to show up with a half chub. But if Russell Wilson went to the Bears, I'd be too excited. I don't know if I could hold back. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I've ever heard that saying, but you know I've, what, I've I'm, never, I've, I, I, I've never heard that saying in my life. I'm just glad we're sharing it with the viewers now, so that they can they can use it in every situation. Yeah, don't <laughs> I guess don't 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 show up with your mask completely full. Uh, but yeah, he is actually officially an unrestricted free agent. So good call on that one, Tim. What do you so, think? Uh, we've seen Allen Robinson. Uh, do this since college when he made Hackenberg a, uh, a second round pick all by himself. <laughs> so from him to Bortles to Trubisky, uh, he's shown that he can produce without an elite quarterback, but man, I hope the guy gets a good quarterback. I I've been on sports teams where, you know, you have like one dude doing everything and it's like, can literally anyone else please step up. And I just, on a personal level, I want him to finally have a good quarterback. Uh, I would love to know what sports teams there are, considering we all played intramurals together. Yeah, you know, I, I played like <laughs> sports before and after we've met. So that's debatable. Um, <clears throat> I, honestly, if I think Russell Wilson goes there, uh, I think Darnell Mooney is going to really take off next year because mm-hmm. Ru- Russell Wilson has a great deep ball, and Mooney showed that he's got a little. Uh, he's got a little. He's got wheels. He's yeah, got wheels. So. Mm. Yeah, I think. The, the hype on Mooney is – I was just going to say the hype on Mooney is already kind of getting, like, really, really high for a receiver that was, like, I, like wide receiver 50. I feel like people that have him are treasuring him right now. Yeah. I can see Agreed. why, though. Uh, it's almost like the Gabe Davis situation. Even though they play so differently, just being on Reddit, I see the love for both of them. And, you know, you can't mention one without the other because the same draft class, same kind of situation. But 
Mooney just overtook a former second round pick in Miller. And even though the dude's like five, nine, he plays like he's six feet. If you watch some of these end zone grabs that he has, he'll out jump the corner in the safety. So uh, historically speaking, your fifth round pick probably isn't going to be, you know, really, really productive, but I like what I see out of him. Yeah. And I, I mean, I get it. I mean, everybody likes to, you know, think they're sitting on a pot of gold and this is one of the biggest hype, times of the year for dynasty owners everybody thinks that their roster is really good and then week one starts and like your prized offseason acquisition gets you four points in the first game of the year and you realize that even though he's ranked as a dynasty wide receiver you know 22 he's scoring more like a wide receiver three wide receiver four and then it starts to set in that you actually need to score points to win so (laughs) always my favorite time to see people's uh kind of like reaction to their teams All right, let's go into Aaron Jones um, and the fact that he's officially not going to return in Green Bay. I think that we all kind of read the tea leaves here, and this was much expected. Um, So nothing really outside of the realm of of what everybody who had him dynasty was valuing him as. I think, um, you know, we kind of talked about Dak, and I I said Dak was my QB too. I think I would easily rather have Dak than clearly Trevor Lawrence in this class, which means that I think he's worth more than 1.01. I don't think that's any debate in a two-quarterback or a super flex league. I think Kenny G, if you can get him for a late first, um, you know, it's good value. I think Allen Robinson is another um, mid to late first guy. And I think Aaron Jones is as well for a win now team. I think all of those guys are kind of in the same bucket of not old, but not young and kind of going to be scoring and performing well for their teams right now. So we'll have to see where Aaron Jones goes. Um, I think he's probably still going to score like an RB1 next year, but I don't know if I value him as an RB1 in Dynasty anymore. Yeah, I like that. It might be a good time to buy because if he goes to a team like the Dolphins, he could be nice. But if he goes to, you know, a team where he doesn't fit in as well like he did on the Packers, he could fall a little bit. So you might you could take advantage of that and maybe get him for a little bit of a discount. Fair enough. All right, that's all I had for news, guys. If you don't have anything else, we can go ahead and we can kind of just get into the meat of today's episode. Sounds good. Yeah, I like that. All right. Um, so – just as a recap, right, last week we kind of went into Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, um, Rondale Moore, Jalen Waddell, and Rashad Bateman. And, you know, we kind of you know, agreed that those were not only just the tier one slash tier two wide receivers, but kind of like the cream of the crop of this class. And I think, um, you know, today's episode we're going into some other ones that, that we like a little bit more. And we talked about Amon Ross St. Brown as well. So I think um, – you know, one of the guys we didn't talk too much about last week again was Terrace Marshall. We talked about him a little bit, but I kind of view Amon Ross St. Brown and Terrace Marshall in a similar tier. Um, but I think with the exception of them, there's a lot of these guys that, you know, we got to see where they go in the draft. Um, they kind of fall into one of two buckets and they're kind of quick twitch fast or they're, they're kind of, um, you know, big and can body people. I think we're getting into a spot where like these guys have a role to play in the NFL, but they're not going to probably be very likely as like wide receiver ones, or maybe they're going to be, you know, mid to back in wide receiver twos, but there's so much talent at the wide receiver position. You know, we're really talking mostly about guys that you're going to be starting to target in the mid to late second round. Um, and, and with that being said, you know, we going back to where we're going to see these guys drafted, right? Um, props to Roto Heat for doing a little bit of analysis on this from the years 2016 to 2020. But essentially, they looked at um, every single round uh, for wide receivers drafted in the NFL and tried to determine their hit rate based on how many top 12, 24, or 36 seasons they had. 
And the results were very much kind of in line with what I would have expected. So from 2016 to 2020, uh, nine of 17 first round receivers have had at least one hit season, uh, which rounds out 53% for round two, um, 25 receivers have been selected in round two and 13 of them have had at least one hit season for 52%. Um, Six of them actually have had, you know, multi-hit season. So that's 24%. And then in round three, uh, 33% of the wide receivers drafted have provided for fantasy, you know, managers at least one hit season. So all in all, you know, rounds one and two, you're going to see at least 50% of these guys have a, a top 24 season. Um, and I think that once you get to round three, it becomes basically one and, and three and I think that those numbers are just really important to keep in mind as you start to evaluate, you know, who am I going to trade for? Who am I going to draft? Because there are known quantities at wide receiver that are very cheap right now that have a better chance because you know their situation than some of these guys. And people are going to start getting rookie fever and they might give up a known quantity for a mid to late second round pick. And I think that's kind of worth keeping in mind. But that's just kind of my long-winded thoughts around kind of like my strategy when I start to look at these receivers. What do you guys think about it? No, I, I like that a lot, and I kind of wish you told me and Tim that when we first started our Dynasty League. So <clears throat> you kind of waited a few years to let us make our own mistakes, which I guess worked out. Um, but, yeah, no, I completely agree with you. I, I think I said last week kind of what I look for um, and how I'm kind of leaning away from these bigger um, possession receivers and leaning more towards uh, separation guys and seeing how quick they get off the line. Um but yeah, definitely over the years, gotten a lot better at scouting, which is nice. Mm-hmm. It's also good to see. Uh, I don't know how much you guys go in and just check our historical drafts in uh, our two QB league. As a uh, league, we've gotten better at drafting. Um, one of our league mates who runs the chart, he does a little color coded system. And basically, if your pick is bad, it's red. If it's okay, it's gold. And if it's good, it's green. And over the past few years, we've been seeing a lot less red in the first round. So. I don't know. It's nice to see we're all learning. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And and I think, you know, dynasty owners are going to have to decide when they get to this mid-tier of receivers, kind of like how much are they going to value if, if, a, if a team takes a wide receiver in the second round versus like taking a, a lower tier like quarterback, maybe like a Matt <clears throat> Jones or taking a, you know, one of these tight ends that we're going to talk about a little bit, like a Pat Fryermuth or, you know, a Brevin Jordan, like you're going to have to start thinking about, do I want another wide receiver here? Or do I want to trade back or whatever? But I think it's just important to keep in mind, like I said, hit rate and kind of like the value of some of these guys. Um, but with that being said, I'll go ahead and I'll hand it to you, uh, John. Why don't you go ahead and just pick your first guy that you want to talk about and give your thoughts and then we'll rotate to Tim and then me. Well, now that you mentioned, I think I might've been watching the wrong film because I looked up Terrence Marshall. Um, so I might've messed that up. Damn. Well, you'll have to uh, tell us about where, where did Terrence Marshall play? <laughs> uh, what's the, uh, he's plays for the, uh, what's it? The East West bowl. And, uh, <laughs> <Key and> Peele. <laughs> yeah, that was it. No, I, I do have, uh, Terrence Marshall here. If you want to go over his, his, uh, stats or whatever. Yeah, that's fine. I can do that real quick. So, um, yeah, he, he was a junior this year. He's 6'3", 200 pounds. Um, he had 731 yards on 48 receptions and 10 TDs this year. Last year, he had 671 yards on 46 receptions and 13 TDs last year. So that was the Joe Burrow kind of magical year. And he was the, you know, last year, I guess the Cliff Notes here is last year, he was sharing that 
that wide receiver room with Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. And this year he kind of had the show to himself. Yeah. Um, and he actually had a, he had a, uh, or he controlled a, a 33% market share, which was actually better than guys like AJ Brown and Cortland Sutton coming out, which kind of showed that he stepped into that role pretty well. Um, and I, I did, I know I said last week, um, granted this was before I really dove into his film, but I, I did, I said he wasn't a great route runner. Um, and he does round his routes a little bit, but I will admit that I was kind of wrong and he is a better route runner than I said before. Um, and he's very good at coming back to the ball. He has great hands. He's not a body catcher. He's, he plays great for his size. He can really go up and get the ball. I actually comped him to Devontae Parker, which is a good thing and a bad thing um, because he can win these contested catches and stuff like that, but he also doesn't get that much separation. So I guess my only con here is he might require a quarterback who really has faith in him and is willing to throw the ball up to him. Like we saw Devontae Parker's stats with Ryan Fitzpatrick versus Tua. Mm-hmm. And when Fitzpatrick's pumping the ball, he wins those contested catches and he puts up good stats. But you need a quarterback that is going to have faith in him and trust him. So, I mean, honestly, each time I watch him, he's growing on me. And I could very easily see him going in the second round of the NFL draft. Mm-hmm. I feel the same way. Uh, I think he has a firm uh, argument for being in the, the second tier of uh, these guys, these receivers. And when I was looking at his tape, I almost want to call him uh, the big boring because everything he does just looks so routine. It's like he's doing it in his sleep. It's He just makes it look that easy. It's almost like a Larry Fitzgerald or a Jason Witten where you look and you're like, how did that work? How did they get open? How did they make that catch? But he just does it. And I really, I really like his size. His speed's solid. And he uses his size. He doesn't play soft. So he might not be shaking people out like Waddle or Tony, but he uses his size and he can drive through defenders and fall forward for extra yards. So he might not be elite in one category, but he does everything really well. Yeah, I like that, Tim. And I think he's he's probably going to run a 4-5. So it's not like he's slow. I mean, for 6'3", mm-hmm. 200, that's like a good – that's a good rock-solid – 40 and again this is really one of those years where you have to trust your your eyes on the tape a little bit more than some of the numbers you're going to get on these combines because they're just going to be so inconsistent and wonky and you know I mean tell me call me out if I'm a little bit wrong on this but I see a little like T Higgins in him um Mm -hmm. where I think like you know he has this kind of um he has this football acumen where he's very good at using his size I don't think he – I think go discredit him to call him a box out player because I don't think he needs to win by boxing it out. He doesn't remind me of Nikhil Harry like that. Like, I think he's fluid. Um, and I think that he does a good job of selling his routes, and I think it probably benefited him a lot that he was playing with Jefferson and Chase, who I'm sure taught him a little bit about how to best utilize <laughs> and, and leverage how a cornerback is standing to make sure you maximize the amount of space in between you. So I think like his football acumen is really good. And exactly to what John said, like he comes back to the ball very instinctively. And I think it's important to keep in mind that you look at him having 731 yards, 10 TDs this year. And you think, Oh, well, you know, that's not that impressive of a stat line. LSU's quarterback stunk this year. Like, LSU went from first round pick, first pick overall Joe Burrow to like a guy that I don't even think anybody's going to talk about whether or not he's going to get drafted in the first six rounds of the NFL. Like he stunk and he still was able to put up some very solid numbers being the focal point of the league. So 
I think it's important to call that stuff out. And exactly to what you said, Tim, he's very likely going to be um, in that second tier of receivers. And there's a debate about him versus Amon Ross St. Brown. And I think that both of them have their pros and their cons, but Marshall kind of prototypes as a, as somebody who could be a, a number one. And I'll be curious to see, cause I could see him sneak into the back half of the first round to be honest with you. Yeah. I definitely have him profiled as uh, an ex receiver for next year. But uh, the one thing I wanted to add to this was, his stats do actually look really impressive for 2020. In seven games, he averaged almost seven catches a game. He averaged over 100 yards a game, and he had 10 touchdowns. So, yeah, it might not you know pop off the page, but that's because he played what almost half the games that you normally play in a college. And that's season. a good point. That's so a good point. They game. only played seven games. That's a good correction. But yeah, that's all I wanted to add. I'm good. Yeah. All right. No, I I I think you're right, Mike. He definitely. I'm, I'm happy Tommy brought him up last episode because um, I kind of had Amon St. Brown right there. And the more I watched Terrence Marshall, I just, he's, he's really growing on me. Mm-hmm. Couldn't agree more. And I think Terrence, to be fair, I think Terrence Marshall is a lot better than Terrence Marshall. Now I don't, I know that you watched Terrence Marshall, but I assume that after we've talked about Terrence Marshall, we've convinced you that maybe you, there's a little bit more to him here. Yeah, convince me that he's missing an N in his name. <laughs> okay, <laughs> whatever. The viewers hate us now. Um, Tim, why don't you go ahead and take us into the next receiver you want to talk about? So the next receiver I have here is Kadarius Tony, And uh, I've talked about this before with uh, one of the quarterbacks. Um, sometimes when you're in the season, you know, it's the late fall, you're worried about your dynasty team. And you hear about this guy uh, just absolutely blowing up with how athletic he is. You think, okay, we'll see during the, the combine. Get to the combine, it's not happening. So you're going through and you're looking back at the tape. And I was just blown away with how athletic this guy really is. He looks like Percy Harvin. Uh, he might be a little raw on the wide receiver end just because he was a high school quarterback. These last three years, he was learning a whole new position. They had him shuffling between halfback and wide receiver. But his first year as a pure wide receiver, he had 70 catches in 11 games, 984 yards, and 10 touchdowns. And it's not just the deep speed, great quick twitch ability. He's just electric with the ball in his hands. He's a natural runner, great moves, and he's slippery. Uh, They can't really square up on him uh, when a tackler's trying to move in. And for anyone questioning his hands after that infamous senior bowl clip where he juked a guy, you know, in the next week only to drop the pass, he only had three drops and 123 catchable balls in his Florida career. So for someone who's pretty new with the position, <clears throat> natural good hands. And I think he's insanely enticing as a prospect. I wouldn't be surprised to see him go in the first round of this year's draft just because someone loves his athleticism. So I'm happy you brought up the drops there to me. Um, I watched that the senior bowl one-on-ones and there was, I want to say two or three plays, maybe two that he absolutely perfect route, burned the cornerback, hit him right in the hands and he dropped it. And, you know, you said that out of 123 catchable balls, most of his time at Florida was, he was listed as a utility player. So like most of his, until his final year, a lot of his passes, that were thrown in more probably behind the line of scrimmage, if we're being honest. Um, but, I mean, that's a good point because I actually like him a lot as well. And a big thing for me is he's shown he can <clears> – a big thing for me is improvement, and he's shown improvement because he went from a utility player to I think he was second behind Pitts. Um, 
in receiving yards and stuff. So he's shown that he, you know, we we never really know what these guys are doing off the field. But to me, what he did shows that he puts in effort in the offseason and he's a hardworking guy. And I, I don't see anything stopping him from taking the next step at the NFL level. Um, obviously he's coming in a little raw and you want to see him, see him go to a team that, uh, you know, that is willing to take a chance on him and willing to, uh, take on like a project player, but I can easily see him just based off his athletic profile, you know, sneaking into the first round. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he's also only 22. So there's still definitely room to grow. Yeah. I mean, what I'm noticing about a lot of this class is that the wide receivers are a little bit older than people, um, like are used to, especially when you're talking about somebody like Devontae Smith, Kadarius Tony also is a senior. Um, and a couple of these other guys are just like, you know, Waddle is, is like the same age as Smith. So they're like a little bit older in that regard. Um, and I, I kind of agree with a lot of what you said about Tony, Tim. I, I thought, you know, against USC, he had an absolutely filthy move where he has a little dip route fake and then accelerates through like five people for a long touchdown where he just blows through the, uh, the safeties who are like kind of, not going – I mean, I can't tell if it's full speed, but it almost feels like it's not full speed, and he's just breezing by them. So he has that tantalizing, um, you know, acceleration and elusiveness and really good rack potential if you kind of use him at the line of scrimmage and as a gadget. But I think he can run real routes, and I think he can do more than just, you know, burn you deep. I think he's going to be a player where the, the landing spot is going to be part of what we associate with his value, and we have to consider that. Um but at six foot one ninety three, you know his size fits the part, um, and I'm hoping that we don't have like a rugs two situation here, and, and it's a team that, you know, is able to utilize his speed. Hopefully, a team that's later in the first that is going to be a team that has a more sturdy and solid front office. Mm-hmm. You know, I could see a team like the Chiefs taking him because Sammy Watkins is going to be leaving, and you know Kadarius Tony with Patrick Mahomes is going to be a viable, you know, viable weapon. And I bet he would rock it up draft boards if that happened. So, I mean, that's one of the outcomes I could see for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, a lot of these guys, uh, I know we were talking about this, I think it was either yesterday or today. Um, with these uh, second and third tier guys, it almost always depends on landing spots. Like someone like Tony, like you said, uh, in a dynasty draft, if he got drafted in the first round of the Chiefs, I would say he'd go within the top five picks. But if he goes somewhere like the Ravens where, you know, people are not as sold on the Mars of passer supporting two receivers, who knows? It could knock him to like the mid second. I agree. I agree with you. And I think, um, like I said, he's somebody who I like a lot in this class just because of his potential. I mean, who knows of some of these receivers when you're getting into these tier two guys, you can like what they show on film and then they cannot develop so much of what these guys are able to do is really between the ears as a good wide receiver. Um, your ability to understand an NFL playbook, your ability to adapt and, and develop yourself further, you know, quite frankly, sometimes it's just, you got to pick the traits that you value in their upside. And I think Kadarius Tony is a good example of somebody who has upside at his, at his speed and agility level where he can just generate a lot of separation and he's not, you know, I'm not going to call him unpolished, but he has some work to do and could get more polished as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And and like we say all the time, the, the league's kind of adapting to these, these kind of players. So if he can improve on a few things, he could, his potential is through the roof. Definitely. Um, all right. I'm going to hop into the next guy here then and uh, talk about Tamarian Terry here. He is 6'4", 210, 
And this year he only had 289 yards and a touchdown, but last year he kind of lit it up with 1100 yards, uh, 1188 yards to be exact with nine touchdowns on 60 receptions. And the year before as a freshman, he had 744 yards and eight touchdowns. Um, so he played for Florida state and, you know, at his size, six four two ten, he, he's got a lot of bursts to me. Um, and he's another guy where if, if I saw a team take him, he, and it's top half of the second round or, or something like that. Second round. Um, he's got some potential here. And we're looking at a player that his physical profile would get me excited somewhat. But again, you know, he's growing in a, his body a little bit. I, sometimes it looks to me like his contact balance needs room for improvement where he's getting kind of knocked a little bit more off his, his route where you would like him to be, um, especially at six four two ten. But overall, he has strong hands, and I've seen him make some really, really good plays. So I like Tamarian Terry, but, um, you know, at a high level, I think he's got good upside, and I think he's the right build for somebody who prototypes the true alpha. Now, whether or not he reaches that potential, kind of different story. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with you, and I think um, I think I read there was some off-the-field or coaching issues that kind of derailed uh, this last year for him. So, you know, that's something to think about. Um, you know, you never know, like I said before, you never know what these guys are doing off the field. Um, but yeah, I mean, he has great, great speed for his size and he's, he's a big guy and I, I agree with everything you said, but another thing I saw with him were drops. And if you watch his 2019, uh, his Wake Forest tape, he had a couple bad drops that he kind of shied away from contact, which worries me a little bit. Um, because when you're that big, you know, you're going to get hit and you got you have to catch the ball through contact. So that's the only really con I had on him. Um, but I agree with you that if, if he could sneak into the early mid second round and go to an NFL team, he I, I like him a lot. Right, so you're thinking kind of like a Denzel Mims type where, you know, he's big athletic and just depending on where he lands, he, he could shape out to be the number one. Like you guys said, good frame, but uh, though, like John said, the only thing uh, I didn't like when I saw him, sometimes he didn't use his size enough to kind of attack the ball and to attack defenders. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Timmy. Yeah, and he's the kind of guy where we're just going to need to genuinely see where he where he goes and kind of how a team wants to use him, in my opinion. Um, but I don't have anything else on Terry. Uh, so I guess that means we're back to you again, John. Uh, all right. I have Seth Williams here, Mike. Do you okay, want to go over so, his, uh, yeah. Yeah. Do, do you want, I'll hijack from you and then read a bunch of stats and then you can complain that I took too much of your material kind of thing. You nailed it. <laughs> okay. Seth Williams is six three two eleven. Uh, he went to Auburn. So this year he had 47 receptions for 760 yards with four touchdowns. Um, last year he had 830 receiving yards on 59 receptions for eight touchdowns. Um, and the year before he had 534 receiving yards on 26 receptions and five touchdowns. Yeah. So, I mean, his freshman year, he was behind, uh, Darius Slayton. Um, then his sophomore year, he kind of stepped into the lead role, but you got to take that with a grain of salt because it was, you know, bad quarterback play and he's in a run heavy scheme. Um, so he's, He's a guy that I honestly see as maybe taking as a taxi squad player, you know, now that we're doing that in our league, um, you know, because you look at his stats and they don't jump off the, you know, they don't, they're nothing exciting, but 
he produced well for being on a run-heavy team. Um, uh, but he's got good body control. He can really go up and get the ball. Uh, if, if you watch his film versus Kentucky this year, he has two touchdowns where he goes right over the top of a cornerback and, and, you know, he catches with his hands. He's not a body catcher. Uh, he's a willing run blocker, which could get him on the field. Um, but I, I kind of have him, I, I mean, just like Darius Slayton, I could see him taken in the later rounds. And then once he gets on the field and shows what he can do, uh, he might stay on the field. I was reading the Dynasty Nerds profile, and they actually compared him to Cortland Sutton. And I kind of see it where he's he's coming in a little raw, but he has all the physical tools where if he could put it together, he could be a dominant number one wide receiver on a team. So I think he's got good potential. Um, I just see him more as a guy I would put on my taxi squad and maybe like a second-year breakout player. Those are all fair points, but there's one thing I do want to disagree with you on. Uh, when I was watching his tape, I did not see a good or willing blocker. I saw someone who was just bad. He would often just miss the blocks or he'd get blown up by the assignment. And sometimes when he would go out, it would look like he almost didn't know how to approach the corner to block him. It would kind of be like, a, you know, it would look like he was defending in soccer, like he was defending him at a distance, trying to keep him away rather than actually going up and initiating contact. And I thought he was a bit one-dimensional. He's a one. He's a red zone weapon. Yeah, he has some good body control and can make contested catches, but he's not exactly making separation. And even someone like Terrace Williams, or I'm sorry, <laughs> Terrence or Terrace Marshall. Terrace Marshall, he is about the same size, only ten pounds lighter. But when he wins over the top, he can take it to the house. Seth Williams, it doesn't look like he has that speed. He just kind of looks like a big guy without kind of route running finesse. And I'd compare him to Auden Tate. Just if your team's big number one goes down, you just put in another big guy. But that's what I see from him. He's my lowest rated guy that we looked at. Yeah, and I kind of lean with you on this one, Tim. I mean, I just, you know, C.J. Henderson was covering him um, in in one of the games I watched. And C.J. Henderson was obviously like an elite corner drafted last year. And C.J. Henderson just stole his lunch money, man. I mean – he he got jammed easily. He was checking out on plays. I mean, C.J. Henderson opened real estate in, in Seth Williams' head. Like, Seth Williams was basically ready to retire on the field. I've never seen somebody get dogged the way Seth Williams did against C.J. Henderson. So, I mean, you know, he Seth Williams has the high I'm big trait going for him at 6'3", 211 pounds. But, like, I, he, to me, he doesn't have a lot of bursts. And I think at the next level, I don't see enough of a refined route tree or his ability to separate that. I Like he gives me, he gives me worse than Nikhil Harry vibes. Like I'm just, I'm just not about it. And kind of like Tim, he's my lowest rated. Um, he's my lowest weighted, rated wide receiver from this, from this group that we're, we're looking at. And uh, yeah, I mean, at, at the end of the day, I think there's just, there's not a lot I'm excited about Seth Williams. I know some people will be higher on him. Um, he is likely going to be a guy I'm going to be passing on. All right, so you give him a year under the footwork king, and then he's he's good to go. <laughs> I don't know. The footwork king didn't save Nikhil yet. I mean, we're still holding our breath on year three. Third-year breakout, calling it right now. No, I mean, I, I, I do agree with you guys. That's why I was thinking he'd go in, you know, the fourth or fifth round, and he's, he's a taxi squad guy. You know, I, I don't see me drafting him. I think – Maybe he slips through the cracks and I'm willing to take a shot on him. But I, I do – I guess I kind of agree with you guys, though. And and for what it's 
and, and for what it's worth, right? Like I, 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 like, I don't think you are hyping him up, but my goal probably moving forward is going to say that you're a big Seth Williams apologist and kind of like, I'm probably right. going to start this train where like when Seth Williams doesn't do well, I'm going to be like, all right, well, like this kind of discredits a lot of what John's work on the podcast is because like you can see where his film is just not up to par. So basically because you didn't come in and instantly dislike Seth Williams, I think that at this point, Tim and I do have to consider holding it against you for the rest of the time that we're doing this together. No, that's fair. Tommy can just take my place instead of Tim's. It's all good. He'll yeah, just alternate depending on who we're mad at this week. Yeah. <laughs> Tom's the biggest winner of everything was Tom because to, nobody's coming for uh Tim Timmy's spot anymore. So <laughs> all right. Um so Seth Williams, that was your guy, right? Um so I think it's back to you now, Tim. Mm-hmm. So who I have next is Elijah Moore. And Mike, if you want to go over his uh measurables. Yep, be my pleasure. So Elijah Moore uh, clocking in at 5'9", 185 uh, last year, or I guess this past year. He had 1,193 yards with eight touchdowns on 86 receptions. Um, the year before, he had 850 yards, six touchdowns on 67 receptions. And the year before that, he had 398 yards with two touchdowns on 36 receptions. So he's shown pretty positive growth every single year, and he really broke out this past year. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, the other more in this draft, Rondell Moore, last episode, Tommy brought up uh, the comparison to Steve Smith. And if Rondell is Steve Smith, then Elijah is more of the Jameson Crowder type. He's going to get good separation. He has great acceleration and quickness, and he runs hard after the catch. He has pretty good moves. He can shake people, but he's not kind of the big, angry – well, not big. He plays big and angry. Uh, that's more the Rondell. But uh, Elijah – comps more to Jamison. He'll create separation, great yards after the catch. <clears throat> and one thing I like or like a lot, he absorbs contact really well and can make catches in traffic, even with a smaller frame. I didn't get to see much as a run blocker, just in running situations. <clears throat> Old Miss would have him doing motions. He'd be lined up stacked behind another receiver. The corner would be too far away, or he'd just run a fake route. I didn't get to see too much run blocking, so uh, I'm not sure what to expect there. But one thing, I'm sure you guys have more to say about him, but the one thing that I really wanted to uh, talk about in general in this draft, because there are a lot of smaller receivers, he's he's working against history. He is 5'9", and the only receivers – I'm sorry. Here's a list of every receiver under 5'9 in the last 10 years to do better than wide receiver 30. Steve Smith, Wes Welker, Cole Beasley, and Jamison Crowder. And that's it. Beasley is one of the most productive under uh, 5'9 receivers ever. And Welker and Smith Sr. are Hall of Fame caliber. So to be good at that height, you got to be really good or literally the only option in your offense, like what Crowder was. So I think he's kind of a medium floor, low ceiling slot receiver. You'll be able to flex him in every now and then, but he's definitely not going to be a focal point of your roster. Yeah, that's fair, Tim. I mean – we were kind of talking about this a little bit before, and I think that the five nine tip it's really useful just for like historical context. I will say, like, uh, you know, if he was five ten one eighty five, like he would be in a group with Tyreek Hill and Antonio Brown, possibly. So that's kind of exactly their height weight. So I agree with you. The numbers are kind of against like being too small. Um, you know, that being said, the the NFL is adapting a little bit, and I do think 
at the end of the day, I wanted I want good players on my team, and like if the tape shows he's good, it's the same way I felt about Hollywood Brown when I drafted him, where I was like, you know, I I see something special on tape, and I'm going to go for it. Now Hollywood is a different caliber prospect than Elijah Moore, um, but I I did like Elijah Moore. I think he's going to be a he's he's honestly a poor man's Rondell Moore. He's going to mm-hmm. also play out of the slot. Um, you know, he wasn't beating press coverage from what we saw. Uh, he has good size and good BMI for what he is. Um, and he utilizes his speed to get open. I think um, he has some technically sound mechanics. That's like not part of his game. That's something he's going to have to improve on. But I think Elijah Moore has some traits that are exciting. And I think Jamison Crowder is actually a really good comp. I think that he reminds me a little bit of Jamison Crowder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just one thing I wanted to add to that. I'm not saying that, you know, he has no chance. I was just trying to put in a perspective. It was almost like uh the conversation we were having a couple of times about Devonte Smith of there isn't really too much to comp him to NFL wise. There isn't exactly a big sample size. So can he do it? I think he can, but just historically speaking, uh, it's not exactly a sure thing. Yeah, that's a good point, Tim. Um, but I, I think I'm leaning more towards Mike where the, the league's adapting a little bit. Um, and if he goes to a good team that uses him well, you know, he could be good out of the slot. Um, what I really liked about him is, you know, he was used a lot in the short game, but he really sold his deep routes as well. So, you know, it's really important to see what these wide receivers do when they're not getting the ball. And he kind of had the same release and had the same motion every time. So you couldn't tell if he was running deep or if he was doing a screen, mm-hmm. um, which definitely helps if you're, you know, one of these smaller guys that could be used as a gadget player and on a lot of screen passes and stuff like that. I really liked him. I get what you're saying, Tim, and it is it definitely, I think, lowers his ceiling a little bit. But and and again, like all these guys, I think they're definitely we got to see who takes a shot on them and, and where they get drafted. But uh, I think he could be something special if he goes to the right team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, late half of the second, you know, early part of the third. I mean, he's interesting. You know, he's going to be interesting. Um, I like him better than Seth Williams. I mean, I don't know if that's saying a lot, but I definitely <laughs> liked him better than Seth Williams. So, um, well, now I feel like I'm going to have to plant my flag and say Seth Williams is going to be the best <clears throat> wide receiver in this draft. I kind of hope you do. I kind of hope you do because there's always a little bit of fun involved when like we kind of don't agree on a prospect. So, I mean, hey, those calls have been working for you lately. So maybe Seth Williams is your guy. No, I'm not feeling this one. I, I really the guts the guts telling me no. This is like when you're at the when you're at roulette and it's betting on black or red, and betting on Seth Williams hitting is like betting on green. <laughs> you're not thinking yeah. like, yeah, okay. Um, I I'm good with these wide receivers, guys. I I think we did a good job of kind of hitting on all of them a little bit. I think. Once we see where they go, we'll come back in with a little bit more of a detailed analysis on the ones that we got to really analyze their, you know, where they're going to fit into a team. With that being said, I kind of wanted to also make sure that we got to tight ends this episode. And I, I think we have just enough time to do that if you're good with us switching gears a little bit. Yeah. Sounds good. All right, cool. So I think, you know, just starting with the basic premise here, right? There's there's really three guys you're going to hear a lot of buzz on. It's it's Kyle Pitts, it's Pat Fryermuth, and it's Brevin Jordans, and and these are the three guys that are kind of the the big three. And really, it's a it's a tier of a big one with Kyle Pitts, and then you have these next two guys. And that's not to discredit them in the class, but um, you know, Kyle Pitts is 
getting a lot of buzz. Um, he's getting a lot of buzz and it's, it's rightfully deserved. I, you know, he's had a really good career um, at six, six, two forty six. He's a good size. Um, you know, he's productive in 2020, he had 770 receiving yards with 12 touchdowns in 2019. He had 649 receiving yards and five touchdowns. Um, you know, so he's had a productive career and, I was saying this to you guys earlier today. I was watching some Kadarius Tony and I was like, Oh, I don't actually have to scout Pitts anymore because Pitts shows up every second play with Kadarius Tony making some ridiculous catch. Um, you know, so he's, he is legitimately sensational. And I think um, at six, six two forty, uh, you know, Waller for reference is two fifty six. Eric Ebron is six four two forty five. So he's kind of more in like the Ebron size with a little bit more height. Evan Engram is 6'3", 240, so he's, you know, he's a bigger dude than Evan Engram, which when people are talking about is Evan Engram only going to be an inline tight end and, and just running routes. I think Pitts is going to be able to block. I think he's going to be really versatile. Um, but my, my analysis here is that I'm not ready to take him in the top five picks in almost every league, with the exception of maybe tight end premium. You know, if you want to talk about taking him after um, – you know, in two quarterback leagues, taking him after Fields and Lawrence and um, Jamar Chase and, and, you know, Najee Harris and maybe Devontae Smith. Okay, like, we can have that conversation because I think he is a blue chip prospect. But, you know, in the last six years, here, here are the, the tight ends that have gone from, you know, 2014 through 2019. So in 2014, Eric Ebron went pick 10. In 2015, none went in the first round. Max Williams was the first one at pick, you know, pick 55 in the second round. Um, 2016, none went in the first round. Hunter Henry was the first one taken at pick 35. In 2017, OJ Howard went pick 19. Evan Engram went pick 23. David Joku went pick 29. Uh, in 2018, Hayden Hurst went pick 25. And then in 2019, uh, TJ Hawkinson went pick eight and Noah Fant went pick 20. So, you know, Kyle Pitts, I think is legitimately a better prospect than everybody we've said on this list. I really do believe that. I think he has more to share. I think Hawkinson maybe is a little bit more well-balanced and he did go pick eight. You know, I've seen Kyle Pitts mock to the Eagles. Um, and I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that he's going to end up going there. So at the end of the day, I like Kyle Pitts a lot, but I'm not ready to take him in the top five, six players. And I just wanted to make sure that I kind of levied my overall thoughts on Kyle Pitts a little bit, because I know we haven't talked about him at large yet. Um, Tim, what are you thinking around him? Uh, I think the same thing. I know a lot of people are excited to get in on an elite tight end, and I think he definitely has tools to be that. He's probably one of the better tight end prospects we've seen in these last few years. But I've done some interesting research on tight ends myself and just how they compare to the other positions. And there's a huge drop off tight end is almost unlike any other position where if you have an elite tight end, kind of the top three to four, you are the leagues ahead of everyone else. Like if you look at Travis Kelsey, out producing wide receivers, if you can get a, another tight end that can do that. Yeah. That's a hell of a lot of value, but I don't see the risk or I'm sorry, I don't see myself taking the risk of taking him over more safe players, such as a running back wide receiver. Yeah, I agree with you, Tim, because we see it every year where you're picking up Darren Waller or yeah, Robert Tanyan off the free agents at tight end. So I know we've talked about it. And like you said, Mike Pitts is he's a really good player and 
you know, it really depends. Is he going to go to a team that, like, if he goes to the Eagles, yeah, he might be great, but he's also splitting snaps with uh, Dallas Goddard. Um, you know, it just takes so long for these tight ends to develop. And at that point, for me, instead of taking them in the first round of our draft, I'd rather just pick somebody up off free agents and use them for that year. And then, you know, maybe hope that, like, look at guys like Irv Smith. Like, now he's going to get his shot, but it's three years in. So maybe you hope that the guy who takes him in the draft gets sick of him not producing or, you know, not producing as well as he thought he would. And then maybe he drops him because he needs to make some space or something like that. So I think he's a phenomenal player. It really just depends on, you know, what team he goes to and are they going to use him instantly like, like Darren Waller, or is he going to take some time to develop? So, yeah, I agree with both of you guys. And you have to be a little bit pragmatic about this, right? Like TJ Hawkinson was, you know, a top five tight end this year, and he didn't have a fantasy point relevant game above 14 points, right? And I'm not saying he didn't have a good year. My point is that's the fifth best tight end we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And he was averaging a very rock solid eight to 10 points. And again, this is with the exception of tight end premium because it changes the value a little bit. But, it, you know, Kyle Pitts could come in and have a rookie year of 600 yards, seven touchdowns, and that would be a really good rookie year, like a really good rookie year his value also would probably go down realistically because a lot of people are in dynasty or what have you done for me lately? And um, in my opinion, you can sometimes wait and you can get these tight ends mid season end of the year and they're cheaper. And maybe Pitts is the exception because people know that more now and there's more information around the general way that tight ends are, are viewed and, and retained and how long they take to develop. But like, I agree with you guys. Like that's just, it's too early for me as a top five pick. I've seen people saying they're going to take him pick two overall, okay. like in their rookie draft. <clears throat> Absolutely not. Yeah, that that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's all I have um, around Pitts. I'll, let's go ahead. I'll, I'll kick it over to you, Tim, just like very briefly on Pat Fryermuth, if that works. Um, and I'll give his stats real quick. Yep. So Fryermuth is 6'5", 258. Um, this year he had 310 receiving yards of one touchdown last year. He had 507 receiving yards with seven touchdowns and 2018. He had 368 receiving yards with eight touchdowns. Okay. And, uh, for Pat Fryermuth, uh, what I saw with him, he's just more of an old school tight end, just big, powerful. He knows how to use his side to drive defenders, pick up yards, Clearly a good blocker. He's a lot different than some of these new school guys like Pitts or Jordan, where they look more like Johnny Smith. Uh, you know, they're a little bit lighter. They're a lot faster. They can beat corners one-on-one. Firemuth isn't going to do that, but th- there's still value for that in the NFL. We all saw what uh, Bob Tanyan did this year, uh, not exactly being a, a wide receiver. He's, you know, big, bulky dude. Yeah, and – um I like what you said there, Tim. And the big thing here is, you know, he's got a nose for the end zone. Um, you know, like Mike said, that outside of the top five tight ends, you're not you're not really getting much value there. And, you know, you might as well stream them. But what you want from your tight end is to score touchdowns because not a lot of them are going to get the 20 targets game that Darren Waller gets. So, you know, he's a big guy. He can bully people around the red zone. Um, still not going to draft him. Um, but it's, it's good qualities to have for a tight end. 
Yeah, and I mean, people kind of reference him as baby Gronk a little mm-hmm. bit because he has very similar measurables to Gronk, and I think much in the same way, like, he's really technically sound. I think he's going to definitely be able to block. I think he's able to go out and do, you know, catch passes. I think he does a, you know, a great job of using um, his momentum and using his size to his advantage. He's not, like, super athletically overpowering, but he's, like, really technically sound. And I think he, in, in the right scheme, is going to be able to be a, an impact player. And again, like we're not going super, super deep on some of these tight ends because until you see where they go, until you see how that scheme uses a tight end, like it, it's hard. It's hard to evaluate them because Kyle Pitts is maybe an exception where the, the scheme is going to be built around him. But, you know, Austin Hooper with the Falcons, when they were utilizing um, tight ends, he, he had an unreal year. And then he went to the Browns and you know, more, more targets to share. And it, it completely changed the way that his value is. And I think it's important to point that out. I couldn't agree more on that. Uh, and one thing I really wanted to briefly touch on was just, uh, we're talking about the top three guys and it's clear they're probably going to go within the first three rounds of the draft, but for people outside of the third rounds uh, and lower, it the hit rate drops significantly. It's almost like trying to find a quarterback to uh, start after the second round. And when you're looking at it in the past 10 years, only nine tight ends, or excuse me, only 10 tight ends outside of the top three rounds have had at least one uh, tight end 15 finish. And other, or, uh, excuse me, out of those top 10, only four were able to do it twice. So the hit rate dropped significantly out of these top three rounds. And when you're looking at the tight ends, you're trying to scout them, trying to find the next big break. Your effort is much more uh, well used when you're looking at the higher rounds. Cause you're just sifting through shit at the end. <laughs> no, yeah. <literally. laughs> yeah that's fair sifting through shit well i mean that's all dynasty is at the end of the day it's sifting through shit and then trying to get a pot of gold so i was gonna <laughs> I was say there's no there's only one more bit just to give people an idea so i use a tight end fit or the tight end 15 as a cutoff so Noah offense rookie year he's a good tight end everyone likes him he's a big upside guy that people are enjoying he was the number 14 tight end, and he had 95 total points. That's equivalent to the number 64 wide receiver, who that year was Muhammad Sanu. So when you're looking at you know your pride and joy upside tight end who's comparable to a guy who's on his way out of the league, it's not exactly impressive. So a lot of these tight ends are hard to find, good tight ends. Yeah, I mean, for reference, Devontae Adams, I feel like like twice this year almost scored 98 points in a single game. I mean, didn't he have like two 40-point games? So he basically outscored all of Noah Fan or something like that. Um, yeah, I mean, to your point, just not the same level of impact. Um, let's go ahead then and go into the last guy we're going to talk about here, uh, Brevin Jordan. And Brevin Jordan, you know, 6'3", 245, he is much more on that kind of – you know, Evan Engram size, 6'3", 240, right? Very athletically gifted, um, a little bit undersized and probably could do with a little bit more polishing, but he's got good wheels, um, fifth, you know, 576 receiving yards, seven touchdowns this year, 495 receiving yards, two touchdowns last year. Um, you know, so very solid for what you'd expect from a tight end. And, and kind of my overarching theme is he's athletic. And again, we just need to see where some of these guys go scheme wise. I think he's got good hands. 
Um, but I do think he's a little bit undersized for a tight end. He looks exactly like Johnny Smith, uh, same height, and he's only three pounds lighter. So I see him a lot like that. He's going to be more of a move tight end. He was even lining up in the backfield on some of these snaps. Yeah. Yeah, that, that actually might be good because a lot of these teams that, you know, you'd like for your tight end to go to and they run these tight end heavy schemes, like, you know, the Browns, Vikings, sometimes the Eagles, they're already splitting snaps with another tight end. Um, so not only, not only do they run the ball a lot, they're not going to be the main tight end on that team. So a lot of the good situations they could go to aren't even that good of situations for fantasy production. So it really just, you know, I'm not drafting any of these guys in our rookie draft, but I, I see how they're all good prospects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. All right. Well, listen, boys, we, uh, we got through the meat of this, um, I think quote of the day was Tim saying that we're shifting through shit and we're trying to, or uh, sifting through shit and trying to find a pot of gold. Um, <laughs> we got through the tier two slash tier three wide receivers and got through kind of the big three tight ends. Um, I don't have anything else for this episode. Do you guys have anything? No, I'm good. All set. All right. Uh, make sure to follow us at Juan Dynasty on Twitter and Don Wands of Dynasty on Instagram. Um, we're interacting with the community on Reddit weekly. Um, trying to do polls, trying to see what you guys want to hear about, what you guys want analyzed. I think next week we're going to try to do a big Don Wands of Dynasty mailbag. So we're going to try to reach out to you guys and kind of see what kinds of things you want to talk about specifically for next week because that's it, baby. We got through the rookies. So we'll be going through a mock draft in the next couple of weeks, maybe month. But, you know, we've done basically some form of a player profile on, on almost everyone at this point. Um So that's all I have for this week, boys, but it was a fun one. So peace out. See you. Peace.